Welcome back to the Bricks. We are super excited to welcome Justin Williams, staff writer for The Athletic, uh, to the pod tonight to talk about the UC Bearcats. The news in the 513, the Bearcats are looking good. They're undefeated. They're looking like they're going to win the American. They're looking like they might even have a chance to compete for the college football playoff. We'll talk about all that and more with Justin. But first of all, Justin, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me. It's a, it's an honor. Uh, any anything, any any OU connection I can make with with people is is always a good one. Probably not what people want to hear on a UC podcast, but oh, you're good. You're totally good. So that that was actually perfect because Justin's actually a Miami grad. So that is absolutely perfect. So well, that's actually that's right where we get the name, you know, Battle of the Bricks, Back to the Bricks. So same kind of concept, but right. Okay. But so, we're, yeah. yeah, absolutely. We're I just, definitely now. Not. I know who my favorite host is. That's that's, that's good. To, <laughs> good to know. That's right. So feel Love free to not answer any of his <laughs> questions. But let's let's start right with the the recent victory over UCF, um, unranked UCF with two losses already early in the season. But statistically speaking, and I know you talked about this on Twitter recently, the best total offense in the country. How would you? just right off the bat rate the Bearcats performance. Yeah. I mean, I think I wrote this too. I don't know. You could argue whether it was their most impressive win. I mean, I think the SMU road win would be up there for that. Same with the the Memphis home win, especially just, you know, knowing that Memphis beat them twice last year, but it was definitely the toughest win they've had. Uh, And that's not surprising. I mean, you know, Fickle talked about it last week leading up to this game. Everyone I talked to kind of involved with the team. They knew the offense was really good. The defense, which statistically is not good, but it, they're fast. They have a lot of good athletes, so they knew it wasn't just going to be anything easy. Um, and for whatever reason, I mean, even though it was 20% capacity or whatever, going down there and, and playing in the bounce house, like that's not that's not easy. You're going on the road anyways. So it, even though what I know they lost to Tulsa did, and then they Memphis came back in that, that crazy game, but there just seemed, at least among the team, there seemed to be this idea like this was going to be their toughest game. And it certainly played out that way. And, you know, things didn't go well to start. UC kind of put themselves in a hole, but they were able to, to fight that off and come back a couple of different times. And I was pretty impressed. I guess I thought they would win going into it, but, you know, just kind of the way that they were able to execute, especially after falling behind. Uh, I know. I thought, I thought it sent a pretty good message. Anyone that's watched that UCF team the past couple of years this year included knows how how good they are, how quick they can score. So uh, even though on the stat sheet scoreline, it might not look like their most impressive win, uh, I think you can make a case for it. Absolutely. And going, I mean, going to UCF is a big deal. I know, I remember a couple of years ago, game day was down there um, when UC went down there and it kind of got ugly early um, in that game and wasn't as good. Um, of course, it was Fickles that really first year. He had his guys, and they were they were really good. But um, I would imagine that's kind of why it was such a big deal for the Bearcats is is trying to get that revenge for that trip when they kind of got embarrassed in that game. Is that the vibe that was coming from the locker room and all that kind of stuff last week, or was that out of memory, out of mind? No, I mean I, they definitely remember it, and I, you know how much they want to talk to the media about it. I don't know. Uh, you know, I was at that game in 2018, the, the college game day game, and they just you know, you're right. That was kind of the year they won 11 games and they, they kind of first came onto the scene, but like they didn't belong on that field with UCF. They, they got run off the field by them. It was, it was pretty clear that they weren't in the same class as them. Uh, and, you know, I don't think they played Memphis that year, if, if I remember correctly, but, you know, it was kind of one of those situations where 
they weren't quite there yet. And that's why last year was such a big deal when they were able to get him at home. Uh, and I think that kind of maybe took care of some of the stuff from the year before. But definitely, you know, we talked to Derek Forrest after the game and, you know, he said it wasn't really talked about that much leading up to it, but he was in that game. He knows how bad they played. And that was definitely probably in the back of their minds. Des Ritter, like, you know, he, he had a pretty bad game, had three fumbles that, that game in 2018. So whether they want to talk about it or say it out loud, you know, these guys know what the deal is. So I definitely think it was in the back of their head going back there. And just the idea of, yeah, they got them last year, but the, you know, it was an upset, even though they were at home, UCF was the ranked team this year was kind of flipped, you know, UC was the, had the target on their back. And so I think a lot of the things they've been doing this year, they know they're good. They know they're favored in a lot of these games, but they almost go out there wanting to prove that they deserve that. And so far that's what they've been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think right away you saw with the way that UCF was talking early in the game that even if you would have gone in there saying, okay, this isn't about revenge in the bounce house, like early on there were a lot of dudes chirping. And so I think pretty quickly it, it was it was very clear for UC that it was going to have to be a game that they won both physically and, and, and with their mouths, quite honestly, too. I think they did a good job backing it up personally. Yeah, and, you know, that's been their thing, uh, you know, this whole tough and nasty ethos that they've kind of preached under Fickle, like they want to bully people and they want to push them around. And they've been able to do it the past two years a little bit by surprise sometimes. Well, now that's, you know, that's not the case. So they know they're going to get everybody's best shot. They know they're going to have people chirping at them, you know, during the game or before the game, you know, leading up to it on Twitter or whatever. So they're prepared for that. And I think kind of the next level is to be able to be the team, you know, that everyone's taking shots at and still be able to win those games and still be able to bully people. And they've been able to do that. And, you know, I think that's a mark. Fickle's talked about this. It's, it's easier to go from not so good to good than it is to go, good to great and that's kind of what they're in the middle of doing and it's it's been it's been really impressive absolutely so that kind of plays into um so my family um is high school football coaches here in southwest ohio i know a lot of high school football coaches here in southwest ohio and i know coach fickle has set up the state of cincinnati kind of feel um for him and the stat that they gave on saturday that there's 80 guys on the roster from the state of ohio um, and a lot of those guys, Josh Wiley, personally, I coached against Josh Wiley um, when he was at LaSalle High School. Um, so that's kind of Did cool. he talk a bunch of trash in high school, too? Uh, you better believe it. <laughs> um, you better believe it. Um, Ryan Montgomery, I coached against him at Franklin High School. Um, so it's just kind of cool for those guys. But do you think that adds kind of a chip to the shoulder already, seeing how Southwest Ohio talks about how they have the best football around. Um, Fickle's recruiting that, that it's the best. Is it all just playing into his favor of, of playing into that, as you said, ethos that it's, it's Ohio against the world kind of thing, Cincinnati against the world? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, I think they've done a really good job, the staff, of cultivating that idea that, like, this is the cool thing to do is, is to stay home at Cincinnati. Whether you're from Cincinnati or you're from – Columbus or Ohio, you know, they do a good job of making it feel like home, even as they get farther out from the actual city. But I think that's important because that wasn't the case before. No one who grew up here, um, you know, unless you had a family member that played there or something like that, no one who grew up in Cincinnati playing football, that was a dream to go play at UC. And they started by making it like, all right, you know, maybe it's not your dream, but you can come here and you can play. Gerald White talked about that. He knew he could come to Cincinnati and play right away for four years. It wasn't like it was a, a dream for him necessarily as a dream school, but now they started to change as they've started to win. They started to build this, uh, you know, fickle stand, Freeman stand, all these things kind of add to that. And you start getting guys like Wiley and Malik Van and, uh, you know, Evan Prater, obviously, Jaheim Thomas, the more it happens, 
you know, these, you got to remember, these are 15 to 18 year old kids that are making this decision. So they're really impressionable. So when they see like, oh yeah, you know, the big kid in town, you know, the star football player at Wyoming, star quarterback picks Cincinnati. All right. That's going to seem really cool. I'm going to do that too. So the staff has done a good job of making that kind of the, the culture and part of it. So that when those guys get there, there is a sense of pride uh, that otherwise they would have taken somewhere else. And, you know, now they don't feel the, the need to do that. Yeah. So moving forward, kind of talking about 2020 as the fickle year, maybe a, a year removed from really playing with a full roster of his guys and a full roster of Ohio guys. Do you think this is the ceiling under fickle? Well, I guess it depends how this year ends. I mean, if if they go 11 and 0 and they sneak into the playoff then like yeah that's that's probably the ceiling because that's you know pretty much everyone's ceiling um even if they like get smoked by bam or something because that's you know except for three or four teams that's everyone's ceiling too uh but i don't know because right now yeah probably but you know it's it's no secret the the program has hopes of getting to a bigger conference and you know I, I don't think fickle would have signed that extension and stayed around if he was just content to to stay in the you know american conference or at least you know stay in the american and not still compete for college football playoff spots and all that kind of stuff so i, I hesitate to call it the ceiling i would basically say if if they get to the conference football play or you know college football playoff or even if they're right on the outside if they're 11 and 0 and all the talk is should Cincinnati get a chance should they get in and they end up getting the, the New Year's Six Bowl in some ways that's almost just as good because you know you're right there in, in the, the, the discussion and you can pull a UCF and claim you have a national championship all that kind of stuff so that would be him maximizing I think the potential they have right now but you know as unrealistic or pipe dream as it is you know, Fickle would say anything short of like a, a national championship, you know, w- wouldn't be the ceiling. Now, the way it's set up right now, that would be really tough, but that's kind of the way they would frame it. And him looking forward, that's the way he would think about it. But yeah, I would say if they go 11 to 0 and are, you know, top six or seven in this final CFP rankings, that's that's him maximizing anything they could have possibly done this season. Yeah, absolutely. You you kind of touched on it, but the idea of UC trying to jump and go somewhere else bigger, I know. A few years ago, obviously, they were trying to go to the ACC or the Big 12. And personally, as a, my, my mom went to Louisville, so I'm a big Louisville fan. Um, and Louisville managed to do that one year in the American transition year and then get to the ACC. And that's turned out really well for the majority of their athletics and the majority of their pocketbooks. Um, but obviously, you know, I think you're right. I think it's all about the way that it's portrayed. Right? If UC's in the picture, and Fickle can re- continue to recruit the state well, continue to recruit other talent well, you know, make his recruiting classes go higher and higher each year, then, you know, that, that does sell the program a little bit more. And, and there are other conferences that are paying attention. So let's let's get to the college football playoff. Um, what what where do you where do we where do you want to start with the college football playoff? What do you think is the first conversation that has to st- start with UC? I mean, this is like super, uh, you know. TV color commentator, but like they they have to go 11 and 0 first, you know, you know, even they could lose a game and still, as long as it's not the conference title game, they could still then go on and win the conference title. They could even potentially still host it if they lose to, you know, Tulsa or Temple this weekend, which seems highly unlikely based on the way Temple's been playing. But, uh, you know, so if we're going to start from the premise that they go 11 and 0 and win the conference title game, I don't know. I still find it highly unlikely they'll get in um i know that's not what some people want to hear but just you know even if i know everyone talked about well if notre dame went to beat clemson that would have you know maybe given them a little chance to climb higher or something like that maybe i, I still think like you're gonna have to have a lot of stuff go right 
for them to get in, meaning like Ohio State losing to Illinois or something crazy like that. Um, and, you know, on down the line for some of those other teams, you're going to need two or three really good teams to, to take like some shocking losses. And that probably won't happen. Um, but I think you can, you know, if you can get to the playoff, you want to go to the playoff, even if that means getting smoked by Bama or Clemson or whoever. But you could make a case that it could work out really well for them if they're in the conversation, they go to a New Year's Six Bowl and they beat Texas A&M or Georgia or, you know, or something like that. Basically kind of the UCF model from a couple of years ago. Um, because then, you know, you get you were the team that got left out as opposed to the team that got let in and got beat or something like that. So if they have their choice, they're going to get in. But if you're just asking me what I think, um, even if they do everything they're supposed to do, I just don't think it's it's set up. The system is set up to to let them in. I thought you had an interesting point. Um, I saw it on Twitter about how um, A&M and Florida might have a better best win, um, but UC's body of work is better. What is your – so there's just people you know who are, are loyal to – the power five um, and don't recognize the power six like we do on this podcast. But um, we personally on our rankings have UC at five. Um, and so that's where you have them too. How, how do you sell that SMU Memphis and UCF look better than, you know, beating some SEC teams who might be terrible, but they're still SEC teams. Um, how do you justify that those American team beating those American teams are better than beating low end SEC teams? Yeah, so first I got to give credit. That's Chris Benini's ranking rankings on the Athletic, who who put that out today. I I tend to agree with with Chris on that point. Um, and you know, the reason Chris put that is because Chris watches the games. Chris knows these teams. He know he watches American Athletic Conference football, so he knows how good they are. Um, as opposed to, you know, it's kind of the same thing when you talk about like the selection committee with the NCAA tournament, like you know are you watching the the mid-majors to, to give them a fair shake? So I think that's part of it is whether it's public perception, you know, or the actual NCAA, you know, CFP selection committee, you, you kind of got to change people's minds, which is the American is not, you know, it's better than it was a few years ago. Yeah. You could look at some of these metrics that say, Oh, it's as good as the ACC or as good as the ACC without Clemson or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what UC would do if they were playing in the SEC or the Big Ten this year. I don't know that they'd be 8-0 right now. Um, that's not necessarily the point. The point is just, like, look at some of these other teams in these conferences and realize that maybe ECU doesn't stack up with them. Maybe even, like, Tulane, who's kind of decent, or, you know, Houston, who can be kind of frisky sometimes. Yeah, okay, maybe they can't hack it against some of the, the power conference teams. But UCF and, and Memphis, you know, those are legit squads, SMU, those are, those are legit teams. And you have to take into account that even if they weren't, you know, beating a top 10 Florida team or something like that, that going on the road and smoking 17 SMU or whatever they were at the time, like, you know, that's, if that were, I don't know, pick your, you know, this year would be like Northwestern or, you know, Iowa State, that you'd probably get a lot more respect for that than if it's SMU next to it. So I think it's just kind of getting over that, you know, preconceived notion um, idea, but that, that takes time. And I think it takes teams like what Cincinnati's doing this year um, to kind of even lift the whole um, profile of the conference. Yeah. We talk, we talk a lot on the pod about recency bias and I, you had that, you tweeted a Luke fickle quote from after the game on Saturday. It was kind of similar to the idea of, you know, until you have the style points right now are more like what's on your chest, what your, what your team is, what your recent, you know, success is. We talk a lot about that when we talk about Alabama and Clemson and Ohio state. And really what I think it boils down to is the head coach. 
And, and really when the committee can sits down, sits down and says, okay, maybe here's what the Vegas spread is against this team. And okay. What, what could Nick Saban do in two weeks of prep? Well, Nick Saban can get a team that's his B minus team and get him to play at an A minus and beat you know, all, but maybe one team in college football. And so I, I think that those are the conversations that are had that aren't public, but there are definitely conversations that, like you said, like we don't necessarily want to put Cincinnati in or put BYU in, which won't be in the conversation, in my opinion, but just another example and get absolutely trounced, you know, get, get beat like Kentucky did to Alabama the other day and, you know, get 60 hung on them. You know, we don't want that to happen as a perception, you know, thing. And, and there's money involved and there's all those things involved too. But, but I do, th- I think, what fickle was getting at is true is that you have to kind of establish yourself first in order to be trusted in that scenario. And Justin knows this. He's, he's also a Notre Dame fan. He knows that, you know, Notre Dame has been burned a few times and they've burned the committee. And so now the committee doesn't trust them as willingly. Um, so, so do you think that, do you think that Cincinnati is going to have to just keep plugging away for a few more years to really get that foot in the door and that this year is more of a um, first step and, and less of a trying to get to the mountaintop? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, going back to the whole style points thing, like Luke understands that better than anybody. He's, you know, a born and bred Buckeye. He he coached there for 20 years. He worked at a place where the expectation was national title, you know, day one of every season. So he gets that. I mean, I do think there's truth to this, you know, might be their best shot this season under the current landscape, because even if Oregon goes seven and zero, like they're still seven and zero, and it's you know it, it feels weird though that they started so late or you know they're only playing these conference games so they don't have any of the you know cross P five games to to reference something against. So in that sense, yeah, maybe if the committee's just like, well, we saw Texas A and M get their ass kicked by Alabama, let's give Cincinnati a chance to get their ass kicked by Alabama. That that might be their best chance to get in. You know, I I do think everyone's talking about it. it expanding to eight and depending on how that shakes out you could you could make the argument that what Cincinnati does this year would set them up really well you know if something like that happens but Cincinnati will be good next year and and the year after that but there's also kind of a special quality to this team just in terms of some of the juniors and seniors they have Um, you know as good as a defense as they have you know in years to come it probably not going to be quite as good as this year so I think part of in the back of fickle's mind or anyone's mind is like this might be our best shot because of all those things let's let's do what we can to get in there and i think if they got to 11 and 0 you would see a tone shift in fickle and i think you'd see him kind of out there like pounding the pavement making that case but i think he also knows it's it's going to be fruitless if he does it now and they end up losing so um i'll be interested to see that because i do think he might he might turn up the volume a little bit when we get to that point um and that'll be interesting to to see how the the public and the committee reacts to that if we get there. Yeah, I think um, I think it was even a few weeks ago that he made a reference about not knowing what their ranking was or something. And I think that 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 was kind of the start of that conversation of like, oh, yeah, we're not too worried about it. But I think I think you're completely right. I think a tone shift is is definitely coming. So let's put you on the spot here tomorrow night. The rankings come out we're, when we're recording tomorrow night. The rankings come out for the first college football playoff top 25. They are meeting in person, which is very controversial, in my opinion, and probably not the right decision. Unlike us, they are meeting in person. Where do you think the the UC Bearcats will be? So I actually think they'll be seven, which is where they are in the AP and, and the Coach Bowl. But apparently that would be like historical because the highest, uh, I believe the highest group of five programs ever gotten is eight in the CFP rankings. But just looking at it like, you know, in the AP poll, BYU is right behind them. Wisconsin and Indiana were there last week. They just lost like 
the, I think the really only sensible one that could jump them would be if they put Oregon ahead of them, which, what are they, 3-0 and now? You know, I guess mm-hmm. it's possible, but they don't seem super – no one seems super impressed with Oregon. Um, or like Northwestern, and, you know, honestly, that seems just as crazy as putting Cincinnati up there. I think people would view that kind of the same way. So, yeah, my, my guess is uh, it'll be seven. And, again, that's as much about the circumstances surrounding everything as it is uh, – you know, Cincinnati making history or, or anything like that with that ranking. But um, if someone jumps above them, I'll be interested to hear the, the justification for that. I can understand the justification of Florida and Texas A&M being above them in the rankings, even if there's parts I don't agree with that. Um, you know, I think if Cincinnati didn't play for two weeks, they'd drop a lot more than Texas A&M has. But I, I'd have a hard time buying it if, if someone else sneaks up and they in like eighth or ninth or something. Random question for you here. So I got stirred up by BYU last night, turning down Washington. So allegedly, say, allegedly. Yeah. So let's say Temple. Some for it's not crazy. Says they can't play this Saturday, and Washington calls up UC. Is Fickle playing that game this weekend? Is he playing Washington is to help his chances to get into the college football playoff? I could see him doing that for a couple of reasons. You know, the whole thing about the BYU game on the fifth, or you know, that open weekend they would have BYU would have to come to Nippert. Like Fickle doesn't want to play four straight road games. Now, if it's like playing this weekend because Temple cancels, that's a different situation because you would technically still have a bye week. Playing Washington or anyone, you know, outside of conference doesn't hurt their chances to to host and, and win the conference title, um, even if they would, you know, go somewhere and lose. But he would think about it. Like it, he definitely wouldn't shut it down. Um, I, I don't think Washington wants to that's the thing. I don't think one of these teams wants Cincinnati to come play them. Like that was, they figured that out when they lost the Nebraska game and tried to cancel it. Like they were calling around schools, Notre Dame, Pitt, you know, places like that. And none of these people want to play them. You know, they might've gone to Notre Dame and lost, obviously they might do that next year too, but you know, Notre Dame, they have enough people on that staff that know this team well enough not to take that chance. So uh, I, I would be shocked if, if like Washington or somebody did that to them, but whether it actually happened, I, I at least know it wouldn't be an automatic no from Fickle. He would he would weigh it for sure. Yeah, I think I think that's a great conversation. I think the thing I'm going to watch tomorrow is where teams like Oklahoma, Texas, um, Georgia are ranked. These are teams, that, especially Georgia, that historically the committee loves, and there's never really a huge reason for it. I mean, Georgia has not had an outstanding quarterback for five, six years at this point. I mean, this, this is the team that willingly gave Justin Fields to Ohio State. Um, and, and if they would have had him last year, probably would have been a you know pretty pretty dang good team. But all that to say, I think it'll be really interesting to see where the committee puts those kind of teams. And if those teams are like 9, 10, 11, UC has absolutely zero chance because that tells you all that the, all that the committee values. And, and I think that's what worries me the most is that if like UC starts at 6 or 7 and we just see this gradual slow drop back to like 9 or 10, because they value power five football. So I think, I think those are some things to look out for, but I definitely hope that the committee, they don't do, in my, in my opinion, in our opinion, they don't do their due diligence very often when they don't have to, they don't do a whole lot of work. I mean, if you look at every year, except one, I believe all four teams are what the BCS would have given you maybe a slightly different C, but it's the same thing that the computer would have shot out. So I'd hope that they, uh, you know, they have some, you know, actual minds and, and, and uh, conversations there, but, but we'll, but we'll definitely see. Yeah, it'll be interesting too because it's one thing to say like, "Oh, Cincinnati's really good; they're you know seventh or whatever." But then it's like BYU's behind them, 
and then you're getting into the Northwesterns and the coastal Carolinas. And like, some of these people are going to be, you know, confused to, to look at this and be like, well, you know, how high do we put coastal Carolina in the CFP? They're not gonna be that high, but you know, they're, they're going to be a lot higher than, you know, traditional power conference teams or whatever. So it will be really interesting to see how the whole top 25 shakes out. And yeah, I'm kind of with you. Let's, you know, prove to me that they've done their due diligence, uh, I guess. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Just to kind of transition and kind of wrap up here, I wanted to definitely shout out your article that you wrote about Brandon today, the coach of the UC Bearcat basketball team. Really, really good article. Um, good, good read. I, I, I believe you've worked on it for quite a while, but it talks a lot about uh, last season. You're welcome to touch on it a little bit, but kind of just looking forward to basketball. And we've kind of talked briefly on the podcast about whether or not basketball is going to happen and whether or not it'll shake out, you know, maybe a couple of weeks and then kind of blow up from there. But what's kind of your read on, on the UC basketball program as, you know, as it's game week. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say just because of how weird the, this off season has been and the, and the lead up has been, I mean, it, you know, probably since we've been talking, there's been a, a basketball game this week that's gotten canceled. Um, so assuming that everything goes off as, you know, well and, and normal as possible, I think it'll be a transition season. Like in that, that sounds bad. I don't want it to sound, you know, the way it sounds, but that's always kind of the way this was going to be when, when John took the job, I think he, he realized, all right, I got guys like Jaron and Trey and, and Keith coming back. Um, those guys are too good to just completely strip it down and, and rebuild, which in a lot of cases is what would have happened. Um, you know, him taking over a job like that. So I give him credit for kind of the way he built the team last year. And then that kind of forced the way he had to build the team this year because he still had Keith coming back and, um, you know, Mamadou, obviously, but it was still, you know, you can't put, it's hard to get seven new freshmen and, and bring them in. So you still had to kind of go to the transfer market. And I think they liked the way everything, you know, shook out with that and the roster they put together, but they kind of had to do the same thing as last year. And they're, I think it's, fair to say they're not as good a team as last year because of, of who they lost, um, you know, from that squad. So I actually think it'll probably go similar to last season. It's a, it's a smaller non-conference, which hurts them, but it'll probably be a little bumpy to start at times. Even if it's some games they win, they'll probably have stretches where it's like, well, they just haven't figured it out yet. Um, but if they get the opportunity and are able to play as many games as possible, I think towards the middle end of conference play, you'll start to see, you know, the team figure it out and kind of, you know, find their identity. So I, I think it could look the same as last year. The problem is this season isn't going to look the same as last year, just, you know, from a logistical standpoint. So hopefully that doesn't hurt them. Um, but I'm excited to go out there and see. I'm excited to see what Keith looks like as the guy. I'm excited to see some of the young guys. Um, I hope people will will realize that and appreciate that and not just be so one track focused on conference title NCAA tournament, but more like you got a really, I think, promising young group of, of freshmen and they might not totally look it or be ready this year, but maybe see the potential for what this team could look like in a couple of years. Yeah. As forgiving as Bearcat fans seem to be with fickle when he first got here, they weren't so much with, Brandon, which makes sense because of all the success that Mick Cronin had and having guys like Jaron Cumberland and those guys on the roster. But still, it's a it's an overhaul. It's a change. It's a complete change of philosophy. So um, you got to give Brandon some time to get things figured out. Um, and I will be checking out your article. So I hadn't checked it out yet, but I'll be checking it out. So um, we'll be we're big fans of the Bearcats here. We'll be big fans of the Bearcats as we roll into basketball season. Um, Justin, thanks for coming on. Is there anything you would like to say about your work or anything you have coming up that's exciting that you want people to know about or anything you want to say to wrap us up here? 
Uh, no, I appreciate that. Um, I mean, yeah, like, you know, the obviously the branding piece today, it's it's hard to kind of do those big feature stories, especially, you know, in, in the middle of the season. But I was I was happy with the way that came out. I, I appreciate the the Brandon family kind of giving me the access and, and telling the story they did. So if people, uh, you know, I know a subscription site can be a, a commitment, but if people are on the fence and, you know, needed something to push them over the edge, hopefully that story could, could do it for them. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, you know, any anybody checking out my work on the athletic i appreciate but i also just appreciate the entire fan base and and kind of the the way they make this job fun and easy to do and appreciate people like you guys having me on to talk about it absolutely thank you justin we'll be check out justin on twitter and on the athletic as well thanks thanks guys all right so just we want to say thank you to justin williams again for coming on talking about the bearcats but we're going to jump into our rankings, our retro rankings, which I'll, people, I'll just tell you, the retro rankings are sick, all right? They they are sweet. Um, but we have Bama, Nick, back at one. Um, they completely throttled UK, who's not a bad Kentucky team. They don't have a quarterback that can throw over five yards, but they're not a bad Kentucky team. Absolutely throttled them. Got the Irish at two, Buckeyes at three, Clemson four, Bearcats five, the Texas Aggies at six, um, the Florida Gators at seven, the Northwestern fighting Reese Davises at eight. All right, the uh, Miami, sorry, the Duck threw me off at ten for Oregon. The Miami Hurricanes at nine, and then the Oregon Ducks at ten. Um, Nick, I'll just say it. I told you this. Oregon, I don't, I don't think they're that impressive. They're, the UCLA team they played was starting a quarterback that had never taken a snap. Um, in college football before, and they beat them by, I think, three. They gave up a ton of points. Um, I don't know. I know they're 10th in our rankings, but I'm not a fan. Um, and then also, I think I think it was time. We had to put Bam at one. They're clearly the best team, even though, you know, the Irish beat Clemson. Um, I think I, I, they're clearly the best team. And putting Ohio State at three was a gift um, because we couldn't put Clemson at three, and we – couldn't really put the Bearcats up that high, but I don't know how good the Buckeyes are. Their defense is suspect at best. Um, Indiana had plenty of opportunities to win that game on Saturday, Nick, but, I mean, I, I'm not so sure how good the Buckeyes are. I mean, let's be clear here. Ohio State scored one touchdown offensively in the second half. One offensive touchdown. That was it. That is all. Sean Wade's pick six was the reason that they won the football game. They were up 21 at that point, but that's the reason they won the football game. I mean, Indiana picked that secondary apart. I mean, I don't, I don't think that defense is very good. And again, we've told you this: Alabama's defense. I don't know if you've seen this, Justin, but as of this week, is now the number one scoring defense in the SEC. Couldn't have told you that, but we did tell you a couple weeks ago they will improve. They have the dudes. Obviously, they're playing two or three freshmen this year, which they don't normally do right off the bat. It's Nick Saban. Okay, he's going to get it figured out. Same thing with Ohio State and Ryan Day. They'll get it figured out. Right now, it's not there, though, and I think it, you, you have to be willing to to pick apart the teams for what you see. And, it, and you know what? I'll get right out in front of it. My uh, my Big Ten uh, bet the house predictions, uh, sports betting, if you will, last week were not very good. Um, no. And this is why we don't sports bet in Ohio, Justin. That's right. Um, that's right. That's why that's, teachers don't sports bet either. That's right. Well, we don't have the money to, and we don't in the state of Ohio as of uh, 2020. <laughs> but I told you Ohio State would cover that 20-and-a-half line. I felt really good about that. They looked really good for a while to cover that, but it wasn't the way they were playing. It was more of Indiana's mistakes. Indiana had all kinds of opportunities, as Justin already alluded to, in the first half. I mean, Indiana yeah. should have won that football game. They seemed – it kills me how these teams – 
they are way too t- tentative the first half, always. What what does a team like IU have to lose in that game? Come out guns a-blazing. And they did it in the second half, but it's it's too little too late. I'll tell you this, though. As bad as the Ohio State defense is, those, that Northwestern defense, holy moly. There it is again. I got it in. You can if you're if you're playing along at home. Justin said, "Holy moly!" But holy moly, that Northwestern defense is really dang good. Now it's Wisconsin's offense, but they they can flat play, man. I, I'm a fan of the Northwestern Wildcats. But again, you know, if we're talking about buying and selling, if you have Northwestern stock, you sell the heck out of it right now because it's not going to be any higher. It's not going to be any higher higher in the college football playoff rankings coming out this week. But again, I was impressed. I I told you Wisconsin was going to cover that touchdown line. They were going to do it easily. The freshman quarterback looked like a freshman quarterback for the first time this year. And they Northwestern just smothered them. And I mean, come on. Talk about the fight in Reese Davises. If you haven't seen the whole thing about Joey Galloway calling Northwestern a bunch of fight in Reese Davises early in the Classic. week. And then the videos of players all week in practice and the videos of Pat Fitzgerald, who's always been one of our favorite head coaches in the in the wings, too. 15 years at Northwestern. I mean, come on. The whole thing. The line the line that he throws out of – I mean, and Reese Davis is a good guy. Like, that line right there is just – But if you, haven't checked the, if you haven't checked that out on the Northwestern football Twitter you need or an Instagram, you need to do that. I mean, it's absolutely hilarious. The players took it seriously. And you know what? Sometimes a team that is undermanned, a team that is under-talented, a team that is not as deep as a team like a Wisconsin that doesn't have as rich recent history, all they need is a little bit of bulletin board material. They've already got a big game. They had it. They did what they needed, and and they took care of business. And uh, let's go back to the Oregon Ducks real quick. The reason that we waited to re- to reveal a top ten instead of just a top six is because it gets really hard after six. Let's just be honest here. And that's the way the college football is. There is a clear tier one that usually is three or four, and then drops off below that. Probably another one around six or seven. And that's definitely true this year. I mean, we're talking about UC A and M in Florida. And let's remind people of the Kirk Herbstreit persuasion that head to head matters in, in college football and most sports actually. So Texas A&M actually beat Florida. I'm not sure if he's aware of that. Um, and this whole Florida, Florida looks better. Now you haven't been watching A&M A&M's covered every single week since that game. Well, in Florida against Vandy didn't look like a bunch of world beaters. Let me tell you. I mean, Kyle Trask looked good, but nothing like that Florida defense still isn't that good. They beat who they beat that Georgia offense. We say it every week, so I won't jump into it again, but still I'm, I'm not so sure that Florida is better than the Texas fighting Aggies, Kirk. I'm not. I'm not sure that's the case. So well, let's wrap. Let's wrap up the rankings with yeah. this thing. I told you when we talked to to Tyler or to Tyler. I don't know who I'm talking about. To Justin uh, from the Athletic, that I was interested to see where Oklahoma, Georgia, Texas, those teams are. Don't be shocked when one of those teams is in the top ten tomorrow. It's going to happen. You heard it here first. It'll happen in the first college football playoff rankings. You'll get a two-loss team in the top ten over a team who's undefeated, like like Northwestern. So we'll wait to see it. We don't think Oregon's that good, but then again, you know, after seven or eight, who 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 really is? Who really isn't worth worth a part of the conversation? Let's talk about really some cares? key games. Let's talk about some key games, Justin. Yeah, so um, we'll jump into this week. The the better slate this weekend is on Friday. So after you've had your turkey comatose on Thursday, um, you're sleeping off the pumpkin pie. That um, the Friday after is going to be unreal. So the first game we're going to talk about, Nick, of course course is my beloved Notre Dame Fighting Irish taking on the North Carolina Tar Heels so the Fighting Mac Browns here 
who um, are more up and down than Diamondback at Kings Island. So I'm going to go um, the Irish are four and a half fa- point favorite here. The under the over under line is 66. I'm going to take the Irish um, in the four and a half line. That offense does make me nervous, though, for North Carolina. I do think, oh, you don't. I mean, I've said it all year. The Notre Dame defense is elite. I think they're going to make them look like a bunch of puppies out there on Friday night. But we'll see. Kirk Herbstreet calling the game here. Um, you know, not much of a Notre Dame lover. We've known that in the past. But I'm going with the Irish um, to, to get the win here on Friday night. First of all, I lost my house down payment and house savings last week on the two Big Ten games. So I'm going to take Justin's this week. He's going to lend me some because it's the Irish and he doesn't like to bet on his own team because he's smart. He doesn't bet with his heart. I'm going to tell you right now, get the four and a half or the five, even if it's at five and a half by the time you listen to this. If you live in a state where you can do that, Notre Dame will win by 12 plus, and I don't even think it's going to be a competitive ball game after three quarters. Did, did Notre Dame play quit. last week, Justin? Quit. Did, You're turning into play? Charles Barkley, Nick. You're did, turning did they into play Charles last Barkley. Week? Did no. Notre Dame play last week? No. So why, so why are they a four and a half point favorite? They're off the bye. They're healthy. They got no COVID symptoms. They're ready to go. Notre Dame's going to blow oh, them yeah. out of the water. Well, you know, I hope you didn't just Charles Barkley me there. But anyway, now we're going to talk about uh, Iowa State, who Nick has said for all year, and I will give this to him. He should have bet his house payment on this, that they are going to win the Big 12 and that they were the best team in the Big 12. Look, college football playoff rankings might not say so, but Iowa State might be the best team in the Big 12. Let me clarify that Iowa- real quick. I didn't say they were the best team in the Big 12. I think they had the best path to the Big 12 regular season title. There's two different things. They're not going to win the the ch- conference championship game, let me be very clear. But they're going to win the regular season title. Misquoted. My bad. Um, so, Iowa State against Texas. Texas opening up as a point-and-a-half favorite. How unreal is that? Um, Over-under line is 57. I Give me the fighting Matt Campbells. Um they they play defense. They run the ball. Y'all know how excited that makes me. Um, they they're kicking the day off at noon on Friday. I'm going with the Cyclones. Cyclones. Tom Herman's already lost his team. The AP likes to rank Texas and Oklahoma if they have 18 losses or two. Um, don't bet on the game, but I'll take the Cyclones by a very slim margin. Ooh, horns down. Um, okay, so this is where it drops off. So. Um, I'm picking between a bunch of games that really might not be that good, but I'm going to roll with Maryland and Indiana. Part of the reason I'm going with Maryland, they're a one-loss Big Ten team. So um, they are 2-1, and one, and they have a Tungo Vailoa playing at quarterback. So IU coming off a, a loss to Ohio State, hard-fought game. Um, this is a home game for IU. I think IU opens as a 12-point favorite. I don't think they cover that. I think it's a close game. I think – Tungavailoa keeps – I don't know his first name, so I'll just keep calling it that. Tungavailoa keeps it close against IU. IU has a little bit of a hang-up from, you know, not winning that game against Ohio State. And I think Maryland keeps it close, but I do think Indiana ends up winning the, winning the ball game. Yeah. Um, I will tell you – I'll go right ahead and say if Indiana wins this game by any margin, they'll be number 10 in our rankings next week. The only reason they're not 10 this week is because they lost to Ohio State. Uh, but they look pretty good doing it. We don't like Oregon. I'm just letting you know that right away. Boom. You heard it here first. I mean, it's our ranking, so where else would you hear it first? But, you know, you heard it here first. Um, the, the last, we'll just pick, let's pick one more game here. we got to um, talk about the so, Iron Bowl, Justin. 
I was going to say, is the Iron Bowl this weekend? The Iron, well, it's it's always Thanksgiving week, um, so that's one of those 2020 staples. It's usually also Michigan-Ohio State, um, which is supposedly a rivalry game, though in the last decade it has not been um, such on the field. That's uh, not really up for conversation. Ohio State has owned that rivalry. Um, but, yeah, let's talk. Uh, you know what? I'm going to intro it because you're not going to talk about it. 22nd ranked Auburn, which, again, does not deserve to be ranked. Don't care about the – don't care about the AP. Don't care about the AP. We don't care about the AP. 22nd ranked Auburn are 20, now 24. I believe it opened at 22 and a half. 24 point dogs on the road in Tuscaloosa. And really, I think that line looks a little large, but let's remember this is a thing that, that Josh Pate over there on the Late Kick, uh, who's Late Kick Podcast, Late Kick Live, all those things, real good college football guy at 24 7 Sports talks about. Don't forget that Vegas bakes everything into the number. And what he means by that is they bake in a rivalry game. They bake in recency. They bake in team coming off the bye. They do all these things to try to try to get you to bet on a number. So there's going to be some people this week, some Auburn fans, some people who don't watch a whole lot of SEC football who see that Auburn's back ranked. I'm going to try to lay some money here. Yes, Auburn scored 85 on LSU a couple weeks ago. That's a bad LSU football team. All that to say, Alabama by 40? What did what did what did Alabama do to Kentucky this past weekend? And Kentucky should have beat Auburn this year. I mean, my goodness gracious! What Alabama could be having a stampede right down the middle of that field by the time the second quarter, like by the time the second quarter rolls around? Are you serious? I mean, this isn't even going to be close. But let's not forget. And again, we got to give you both sides of the argument here. Pat Fitzgerald has Wisconsin's number. Always has has always figured out a way to slow them down. There are other examples of that. I'm thinking of, um, oh good gracious, the TCU head coach, Gary Patterson. Gary that Patterson. Correct? That's right. He yes. always has Texas's number. Always has. Always will. He's had Tom Herman's number there. Gus Malzahn is one of those guys that beats Nick Saban about one out of three times, and you can just count on it. It's usually not when he has his best team. He knows schematically how to do it against him. Does he have the dudes this year? I don't think so. But if there's gonna be if there's gonna be one of those games this weekend, it's always the Iron Bowl that seems kind of weird. Nick Saban is gonna say this, and I quote, "New number, who dis? He is not gonna be able to find his number to have the best of of Nick Saban this weekend. It ain't gonna happen. That that no way. Alabama is gonna be having that dang elephant blowing so many dang times on Saturday." Um, in Tuscaloosa, that it's not even going to be funny. It's it's going to be atrocious. But if you want to watch it, Nick will be watching it, I'm sure. I'm sure he'll be watching it. I'm not so sure I will. You know what I'll be watching? Colorado and USC. I'm kidding. I will not be watching that game. I'll find something else to watch. But Iron Bowl is going to be a snooze fest. College basketball kicks off this week, Nick. Real quick, Gonzaga and Kansas play on Thanksgiving Day. Um, instead of NFL, there's college basketball on. I might tune into that game because college basketball is fun. I don't know the line. I don't know any stat on that game. But I think Gonzaga wins. Um, Kansas always takes a while to get started at the beginning of the year. But, Nick, big-time college basketball is back. How exciting is it that Gonzaga and Kansas play opening week um, this week? If they're still on. I, I thought They, they are still were, on. I have not. just confirmed as of this moment that we're recording, so don't take that as gospel truth. But as of right now, they are still on. They're only one of two games, two ranked games for that day. There is not a line out. I think Vegas has just kind of taken a stance of we'll see if they play, and then we probably won't open a line until two hours before tip. But I agree with you. Gonzaga's a better team this year. Mark Few's a better coach than Bill Self. It Ooh. is what it is. Bill Self owns the Big 12. It's the Big 12. But Mark Few's a better coach 
I really wish Mark Few would personally go play in a different conference with a different team as a head coach, but that's just me. Uh, but give me give me the Zags, and you know what? Give me the Zags to be the runner-up this year. I thought you were going to tell me give me the Zags to win their conference. I was about to say, wow, that was a bold prediction, Nicholas. But anyways, I'm on the bandwagon that I'm glad Azubuki is not back for Kansas. I think, I hope, I hope not. I feel like I watched that dude my whole entire life. But no Azubuki on Thursday night for the Jayhawks. Um, but the Zags come out victorious. It's an interesting week in college football. Some big games, some not big games. But um, enjoy your family this week, Thanksgiving, whatever way that may be. Keep each other safe. Love people. Love others. It's what we've been saying since we started this podcast. Um, Don't let that be any exception this week. And we will catch you back on the bricks next time.